Welcome to Coffee with Romina. This is your host, Romina Muhammadai, award-winning leader, negotiation and sales expert, and your new favorite podcaster. Each week, we bring you inspiring stories from extraordinary people of diverse industries, sharing practical advice and tips on how to overcome career and personal obstacles, define your own success, and take charge of your own destination. Thank you for spending time with us today. Now let the show begin. Hello, my beautiful people, and welcome back to Coffee with Romina podcast. I hope you guys are having a tremendous and a fabulous day so far. Thank you so much for tuning into our show. If you are a loyal listener, welcome back to Coffee with Romina podcast. And if you are new to the podcast, well, welcome to our podcast, and I hope you are enjoying our podcast as much as possible. Today's guest is Peter Margaritis. I should say it like with the accent, Peter Margaritis. <laughs> I'm excited about today's interview, you guys, because Peter actually does improv as well, and he is the accidental accountant. And in this episode, we actually cover the importance of improv in business, as well as how Peter ended up being the accidental accountant, and how he's able to use the accountant expert hat whenever he does public speaking, the research that goes behind every single public speaking engagement, and how we'd be able to actually master our presentation, that being virtual or in person. I don't want to take too much time off today's episode, you guys. I definitely want you to enjoy it. Just a quick reminder to go ahead and hit that subscribe button wherever you are getting your podcast juice from. And... If you are listening from Apple Podcasts, go ahead and give us a five-star review and tell us how amazing we are doing. And write on the comments your favorite episode number. This is episode 98, you guys. We are almost at the 100th episode. So without losing any time, I will go ahead and let you guys enjoy the interview. Hi, Peter. How are you today? Fine. How are you doing? I'm good. So we're technically kind of neighbors, Albanian and Greek here. So yay. Exactly. (laughs) Well, without any hesitation, I know I covered a little bit of the highlights of the interview, you guys, on the intro, but I definitely want to pass on the mic to Peter to introduce himself. Tell us a little bit. How did you go about it? The career that you have right now, the accidental accountant, I should say. That is a very long story, but I can come up with the Reader's Digest version. (laughs) I'm Greek. I, I, I really should be in a restaurant. And that's what I really thought my career was going to be. My, I got my start in restaurants at 12. When I graduated college, I was in restaurants. And then I found myself as a banker. And then I found myself wondering what to do next. And then I decided I'll go study accounting. Did never did like it. So I decided to get a master's degree in it, So that, which means I can pass an exam. I know how to take tests. So I am a CPA, so I can, I'm a really good test taker, but I'm a really bad accountant. That's the, why the accidental accountants. But through this journey of restaurants, accounting, public accounting, business and industry, teaching accounting, I, I've always had this love of humor. I've always had this love of improv. I wanted to be a stand-up comic uh, many years ago. And I found that if, if I can blend a topic and make it fun and, and funny, wow, my students stayed awake. And... I, you know, I would teach accounting at the university level, and my students would always say he took a boring subject and made it fun. Huh, I'm on to something. So I ultimately molded that into a speaking career where I primarily now, I don't do the technical accounting, but I'm more about communication and leadership. And I work with financial professionals. I work with salespeople. We're all different, kind of, different groups. 
but it's it's the ability to keep them engaged through the conversation of the presentation and turn it into something exciting and fun with laughter so they will remember because that's a job of a presenter is to keep them awake and and have that message that you want to deliver have it delivered in a manner that they will remember for a period of time. And one of your books actually is Improv is No Joke. I've got a lot of a little secret to tell you. So since last time, because the audience now we do like introduction calls, I start saying a joke in every meeting that I enter before I do like a presentation. It might be the eighth grader joke. Like, mm-hmm. what did Sushi A say to Sushi B? Wasabi. Like, it might be a corniest <laughs> joke ever, but <laughs> see, I get a laughter. <laughs> I get a laughter, which is amazing. So I'm like, I'm like, Peter is into something. So I'm going to start looking up like really like corny jokes to say like, and of course, like PG jokes to say on meetings. And it actually helps. So I want to, I want you to also share your experience through improv is no joke, like maybe lessons that you've taken through improv that use them as tools into communication and leadership. And how do they help on that engagement? Exactly. Like I, I just had a silly joke and now the energy is higher but I'm sure you have a lot more lessons that you took from it. Oh, absolutely. So when I started in stand-up, there's a difference between stand-up and improv. Stand-up is scripted. What does Sushi A say to Sushi B? Wasabi, but, however you just said it. But with improv, I, I learned that it's it's really unscripted. First class I went in, because I thought I was going to write stand-up, they were doing these weird, silly exercises. And I didn't quite get it. And the, the, the instructor said, I want you guys to go home this week and stay in the 70s. Soak up everything you know about the 70s, movies, big, uh, you know, one of the big stories of the TV, all of that. And those of us who did, and I did, I went and studied the 70s because I grew up in it. So clearly I don't remember it. So I needed to study it. I went into that class and I was funny because of the, the situation in the games, that these exercises we were playing, whereas those who didn't weren't funny. And that was my big aha moment. I- improv is not about making, making somebody laugh. Improv is the ability to take your education, your experience, whatever we know, whatever we've learned, and apply it in the moment at that time. And a lot of times, most of the times, those who can improvise are funny, but improv was never developed as a funny tool. It was developed back in 1937 by a woman by the name of Viola Spolin, who was teaching inner city children migrating to the U.S. into Chicago from Europe these theater types of games so because they didn't understand the language nor could they speak the language so she was teaching them these inner city games excuse me these theater games in order for them to assimilate better in their neighborhood and be able to communicate with everybody else so improv was originally developed as a communication tool and it still is today very much so yes improv the second city improv olympics i still go i love it i laugh but i know i can see what they're doing and it's not scripted but the word and at any given point could bring a house down depending upon the context so that's that's improv but i've always said it from a business perspective and the two most powerful words in the english language are yes and not no because i told you so or yes but it's not in the budget no and but are defensive words. No and but evoke negative emotions from the other person. And offers opportunity. And offers possibility. And by putting the, the yes and, and 
listening to what the other person is saying without having any judgment or any ego in the way, the ability to empathize, understand, and carry out a conversation goes so much further than shooting people down. So you can use those lessons on business, which also is directly correlated with emotional intelligence. And as research says, like, you know, like you can have two worker, co-workers, the one with higher emotional intelligence makes at least like $15,000 more a year, even though they might know a little bit less. But what it would it be like three, like two to three things that maybe you can take directly from improv would be one, two, three. Like what would be like three essentials if you can give like one per quarter for 2021 to somebody okay. to like learn? The first thing is, and this goes with or without improv, what business are people in? What business are you in? And when I ask a group of accountants, what's business they are in? They go, we're in auditing, we're in tax, we're in consulting. Ask engineers, we're in engineering, we're in civil. No, 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 that's not the business that you're in. And I say it to evoke an emotion, a little, what are you talking about? No, no, the business that you're in is the people business, first and foremost. Without people, you have no business. You have no customers. You have no employees. Now, this is where improv is powerful. Once you recognize you're in the people business, you will treat people a lot better than we currently treat them because a lot of times we just look at people as a number. I saw a stat 78%, it's either 73 or 78% of people leave their job because of lack of appreciation. The ability to park your agenda, park your ego, and listen to what somebody else is saying, not shoot them down, and say, yes, and I hear what you're saying. Did you think about this or what, what's your idea here? And you move that forward in a positive direction. Now you're a place that you, you're, by just doing that, you're showing the other person that you appreciate them. You appreciate their opinion. They walk away feeling better. I've walked away a number of conversations in my corporate career where I've been told no and but. And, and, or, you know, that, that's not a really good idea. Well, then why did you ask me for my ideas? We all have ideas. We all are creative. But if you're not going to provide a culture where if I say something stupid that I'm chastised for it. Because actually, if you think about it, bad ideas lead to good ideas. No ideas lead to nothing. And when we shoot people down, they're not going to come to you with your ideas anymore. I, I saw this term recently. We're not providing them psychological safety. The ability for the team to be able to speak their mind and not be judged by everybody in the group. It's that safety there. So you mentioned lack of appreciation and such psychological safety. Those are really two big things for employees to actually continue, you know, with you so you don't lose that talent. And then there's one more. Outside the yes and, there's one more. I would say, when I ask audiences, how many of you would consider yourself excellent listeners? I don't get very many hands up. I ask the audience, how many of you consider yourself excellent interrupters? And please be honest. In improv, we listen to understand, which means we don't listen to respond. We listen to understand by taking all the noise out of our head, taking our ego over here, pushing our agenda over here, and just giving the person 100% of our attention and our focus and listen to what they have to say. Take it in, try to understand it. And with empathy 
And empathy is not putting yourself in someone else's shoes. Empathy is understanding how that person feels in their shoes and having a conversation. This country, and because I, I haven't spent much time outside this country, is a very poor listening country. And we've seen that over the last four years and actually over the last eight years. And it's, we're just poor listeners. Yeah, unfortunately, that is true. I feel like, uh, well, I feel like just collective countries are a lot better at listening to and everything, but that's the conversation for a whole nother day. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I wanted to also focus a little bit on taking the numbers out, your other book. You, as much as of an accountant, as numbers or data analysis person as you are, you play a lot of focus on actually sometimes forgetting the numbers and actually telling the story behind the numbers. Why is that important into running a successful business? Well, when all you are is a data junkie and you're just spewing data, data, facts, figures, data, data, facts, figures, most people become numb. So have you ever been in a conference and the, the person who's, who's doing the presentation is just data dumping, data dumping, data dumping, just boring, not mind-numbing numbers? You're either doing one or two things. Well, you're doing one thing, you're probably tuning them out. And two, either you're answering email or playing a game. Or no, doing I go out for a walk. So they well, announce the walk. next speaker, yeah. Right. So, but as I started off to say, it's our responsibility as a presenter to engage our audience. We are wired for stories. There's a story in everything that we do. When I work with data types, I go, so do numbers just move by themselves? They're sitting there one day going, today I'm a five. You know, tomorrow I'm going to be a 10 and then I'm going to jump back to a one. No, they don't do that. Well, how numbers move is through human interaction or there's some type of transaction. So when numbers move in a manner that we aren't expecting, either higher than lower than expectation, go find out why. There's a story behind there. Don't just go, well, we our, our profits were up 25%. But our, our bottom line decreased by 15%. So we had an okay year. Now, there's a, there's a big story there. Find it. We need to do this in engineering, the medical world. Drop the jargon. Drop the medical, drop the engineering, drop the accounting jargon. Because that is just empty words to the audience. We need to remember in this country that we need to revert to plain English and discussing these complex topics to be more relatable and everything so question as a person that likes numbers i like stories i like talking but i like numbers because i feel like you know money is numbers at the end of the day too so i like having a higher number let's say in my bank account but how much data is too much data during a presentation if it's 100% data, if it's 75% data, and actually I'll even say even if it's 50% data. And that's kind of where, the, in my mind, I see the line. So if you if you watch TED Talks, mm -hmm. TED Talks start off with a, a story, and then the data follows. The story, then the data follows. You see, I don't know where, this, I, I've asked this question, how did we get into this? We are just going to speak data, facts, and figures. And me writing the book, Taking the Number Out of Numbers, I started researching about the brain. And all that data, facts, and figures is hitting the neocortex, the frontal part of our, our brain. And it can absorb all that kind of information. 
it just doesn't drive decision making. What drives decision making is the limbic part of our brain, and it has no capacity for language. But when you get that gut feeling, that's not your gut. That's your limbic system telling you something. So in order for people to make decisions, we need to speak to the limbic part of the brain first and then back it up with the data. There's an excellent video. Stories are just data with a soul. I forget the guy's name. He's doing this lecture about it. And kind of, I've kind of regurgitated some of that. But he's got this wonderful video, this animated video, where the neocortex has these big, this cartoon guy has these big round glasses, looks like an accountant or some bean counter type. And the limbic part of the brain is a caveman. We have to tell stories to reach the caveman and then bring the numbers into the accountant or the neocortex in order to get decisions being made. Decisions aren't made with just facts and figures. So I know we're kind of talking like accountant world a little bit, but how about like, you know, IT world or there's other worlds out there that people just use those big fancy words that the normal public doesn't understand. I wouldn't like, I wouldn't like to say dumb it down. How much should you break it down to the normal public? So you still don't lose the credibility because sometimes people use those big words to build credibility. Yes. And a lot of letters behind their name. Here's, here's my thought on that. As it relates to other professions, anything I've said, the word accountant in, in this podcast, take that word out, put engineering in, put medical in, put lawyering in, put all those. It's the same thing. And I have an example for you. I guess two, three years ago, I had, a, I had some tests done and I had a call on a Friday afternoon from my doctor's office. Mm -hmm. I picked up the phone and I thought it was going to be the nurse practitioner. It was the doctor. That's not a good sign when the doc calls you. Then my doctor, she's talking to me in this medical tsunami of medical terminology that after a minute I said, doc, 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 stop. Please, please just stop. Stop right now. I don't understand anything you're telling me. Can you put that in just plain English for me? Okay, Pete, you might have cancer. Thank you. Now I understand what I'm dealing with. In plain English, tell me the strategy we're going to do to determine it. Knock on wood, I did not have it. But that example from a medical thing, that's what engineers sound like when they're talking to non-engineers. That's what lawyers sound like when they're talking to non-lawyers. That's what accountants sound like when they're talking to non-accountants. It's just Charlie Brown's teacher from back in the day. Womp, 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 womp. So I'll use accountants first. I mean, you can apply engineering. Accountants speak the foreign language of business called accounting. It's a foreign language. Once we realize that our technical knowledge is a technically a foreign language, because it's taken years and years and years to develop that language, we have to become better translators of that complex language into plain English, period. So, question. Okay. Throughout the years, you've been a member of NSA, the National Speaker Association, and I'm sure you've seen multiple speakers as well as, you know, you've done your own speakings. Would you say the people that talk a lot of data or talk a lot of numbers are more, let me see if I want, how I want to construct this question. I have it in my head in Albania. Give me a second. <laughs> I can use my foreign card. I got told I could use this as long as, you know. I'm still kind of making sense. A lot of people use that their their data just to tell like, hey, like our business does this, buy my product, it does this, hire me as a consultant. But how you can you merge 
storytelling, data, and create a phenomenal acid ram? Well, the, the first thing you need to do. Here, I got the question. Nice <laughs> job. I, I think I did. Is I want you to tell it to me how it sounds on Albanian. <laughs> <laughs> Something I learned early on being a member of the National Speakers Association, this is not about me. This is all about my audience. What does my audience need? And to find out what that need is, to find out what language they speak and incorporate it into my speaking. So I'm an, an accountant. I'm a CPA. I'm not a construction accountant. However, I was asked to do a pre-conference about three years ago for the Construction Finance Management Association. I spent probably 15 to 20 hours with one of their instructional designers as long along with the committee that hired me so I could understand construction accounting, so I could understand the lingo of construction accounting. So when I came in to deliver, I, at least I knew something about them. I am more relatable that way. I did the same thing with a group of CFOs who were CFOs of civil engineering companies. Poor guy who was my contact, I was bugging him all the time. But I, I want to know, I want to learn. Teach me your terminology. I can catch on. Mm -hmm. So when I come to, to speak, I'm speaking your language, not mine. A lot of speakers will take their material and not adapt it to the audience. And that is called a canned presentation that most people can see a mile away. And I've sat through a couple of situations where a group that I was with vetted a speaker out to come in and speak at this conference and told them what they needed. And he came in and delivered what he thought we needed. person who I was there with, who has a very strong personality, I thought he was going to rip his face off. I mean, fuming mad because he didn't do what he was contracted to do. I don't know if he, I don't know if they ever paid the guy or not. Oh, wow. So, so understand your audience is the big thing. And understand what their needs are and what their wants are. That in itself will gain you a, a lot of credibility, even more credibility than the terminology that you're that you're going to communicate with them about. How much or, research do you do after, like, for just a presentation? Let's say for an hour presentation. How much research does it go on the back end for you? I, I prepare up to the, up till about five minutes before I'm ready to get up and do my presentation. I'm always modifying it. So if I'm doing an hour presentation and I can get the attendee list, if it's small, I will do it. If it's larger, I will have my assistant help me to research. Go on LinkedIn, see what you can find. Find employers, find past employers, find universities that they went to. See if I can find something that, okay, I can make a connection with them. I, if, there's, if there's an instructional designer or somebody who's hired me that I can get their time, tell me what pain the audience is experiencing. What's their pain point? And then I can, I can explain to you how what I'm about to offer them will help cure that pain point. And usually, even though we will, we will get an agreement, even at that point in time, if I'm not comfortable with that I have the pain point, I said, then maybe let me find somebody to take my place. And that hasn't happened yet, knock on wood. There was a couple close times, but we were able to figure out some common ground. If you want me to put hours, I don't know, because sometimes I, I, I kind of get lost in it because I'm curious about them. I want to know about them. Before I discovered it was not about me, it was about the audience and figuring them out, I wasn't spending any time 
Well, with the four-hour presentation, that was 15, 20 hours just working with one of their instructional designers. And there was hours of me putting in just understanding the organization itself, the different aspects of it, the who's their customer, who's the customer's customer. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of research. And I, I remember my first public speaking, I fell on my face really bad, which the other day me and my friend were making fun of it but because it's that preparation like i was prepared but i did not do the research on the audience so the research was just just failed on that end but that is super important because as much as people sometimes want to be public speaker or they want to you know because it is a good business if you do a little bit more research on you like my listeners absolutely do that it's a lot of work that goes behind especially to keep that engagement with the audience so you know, somebody doesn't go out for a walk till the next next speaker is presented or somebody doesn't fall asleep. That is super right. important. Right. Now, another question that I wanted to ask before we do jump to the final questions. What are public speaking wise or like whenever you do the speak, you talk your data, you do everything. Do you typically do your call to action on the public speaking too? Like, hey, this is what I do, become my client or this is my ideal client. Like, how do you convert that? Well, I don't do it on the stage. I never sell. There are ways that we can place suggestions in the audience's mind mm -hmm. without selling. Well, I have a client and then we did this, this, and this. I'm using it part of my presentation because it's relevant, but it's also planting a seed. The only time there's a call to action to my presentation is if someone's introducing me and they want to say my, something about my book and where they could find it or if I'm selling back of the house. Outside of that, it's just interacting with me after the conference is over or after my session is over and exchanging business cards. And that is, that is good. I've been to a couple of conferences that half of the presentation is selling point and it just can like, can I learn something? <laughs> right. I'm here to learn, not for you to tell me how you can help me through your system, your processes or whatever. And I also wanted to kind of jump, you did write an article recently about virtual presentations don't have to suck and 10 tips that you can definitely use. So since we're talking about public speaking, this is also a virtual presentation. So I kind of wanted to go over it because I like sure. the article. The first one you said eye contact, which is very important. The second one is stand up. Third, purchase a good microphone without breaking the bank. That's right. important. Make sure you were heard. Breakout rooms. Make sure that they work. Use them. Function. Polling questions. This is something that people don't really use a lot on webinars or on presentations. That's a, that's a really good thing. And here's a tip, you guys. Polling, if you go to, if you do Zoom, if you do reporting, you can actually see who answered what. Just saying, that's another fun step. Mm -hmm. Conference IO, use a multi-camera shot. Simplify your slides to tell more stories. Going back to what we talked about. Know your minimum sp speed internet. Upload bandwidth and network latency, which a lot of people don't do that and improve your internet speed. And I really love that article, which I'll attach on the show notes for you guys too. So you can be directed to his website. I think it's right on point after being on, I don't know, at this point since March, like thousands of Zoom calls. <laughs> a lot of people tend to miss this very important point though, to even as an audience sometimes to kind of make sure you stand out and be like, hey, I'm an audience, I do this, but I'm good, you know, this is what I stand or have that background or have that stand, you know, structure, body structure. So thank you for putting that post together. You're welcome. I think I made a reference in that post that I was actually, was contracted a few weeks ago to work with three regional salespeople, mm -hmm. sales managers. They were in their home offices. He had his slides up. 
and he was talking. It was like a webinar. And but I knew I found a way through GoToMeeting that I could watch. I don't care about the slide. Well, I do, but I wanted to watch him see his body language. So after his presentation, after about 50 minutes or so, I asked him, I said, hey, by the way, how many monitors do you have and where are they located? And at one point you were drinking a bottle of water and it kind of went up, blended into your virtual background. And he said to me, what? You are watching me? I thought everybody was watching the slides. You are watching me? I said, excuse me, you're the salesperson. You sell the product, not the slides. We need to work, all need to work on, you know, making sure our camera's on, making sure they can see us. If you were doing this in a conference room live, you would be look, making eye contact. You'd be using body language. Do it. And also make sure your background is clean. Mm-hmm. That I like virtual backgrounds, but not doing a presentation because you could wear the wrong colors and disappear in it and come back out. And just make sure that it's eye level and you're not looking up someone's nose because you're looking down. Think about all of this stuff when you do it. Then these things who people go, God, Zoom is so mind-sucking in these things. No, it's a platform to help. It's just we, once again, the presenters are thinking about themselves, not the audience. And they're thinking that this is some huge barrier, but it's really not if we do it the right way. And after I got through all three of them, well, the last one we had to do something with because he'd already seen all the tricks. So I had emailed the the CEO. I said, when he asked questions because he wanted people to ask questions live or, or answered to his questions live. I said, give a wrong answer. I'm purposely give a wrong answer. I want to see how he reacts. And he froze and he didn't address it. And he just moved on. And during the debrief, I said, when you get a question that you know is wrong, you can't just ignore it. Yeah. You've got to go mm, either you're close, but that's not quite right. Or go do a Maxwell smart, get smart thing. Ah, you missed it about that much. Almost right. Let's see if we can find a better answer. But if you just poop them away, that doesn't send a great message to the rest of the audience. Oh, wow. Yeah, you got to keep the, the whole audience engaged and make sure, you know, you spot on if something doesn't seem right and anything. Well, something that I also wanted to share, like on Zoom meetings, for example, I have two screens right here. So I have another one on my left and I have this one. On Zoom meetings, something and advice that I'll give to other people is whenever you do like PowerPoint presentation on Zoom, just go ahead and do the, the speakers view, you guys. So this way you would have, you would be like able to like zoom out and see all the other attendees. And I love doing this sometimes with like with a raise of hands, who does this? And then I'll be like, I can see all of you guys. And sometimes they seem confused and they do this. Or I'll be like, hey, uh, you haven't asked a question in a minute. Do you have a question? If I see them, you know, not concentrated as much as possible. Kind of like, oh, let me pay attention. Exactly. (laughs) It's fun. It's fun too. (laughs) Oh, goodness. So I know you had the two books out. You also have your podcast, which podcaster to podcaster. That's really exciting. Um, you have your books, which I'll attach the links on the show notes, you guys. So for my lazy listeners, if you tap away, <laughs> just click there. It's fine. What's a new and exciting project that you're currently working towards that you'd like to share with us? Well, I've just launched Virtual Improv Workshop. And we launched it. We're in our fifth week out of sixth. And it has been a lot of fun. And, and I intentionally want a smaller group so I can work with them a little bit more closely. Yeah. We meet once a week. 
that's been a lot of fun. And my newest project is I'm writing my next book through the use of my podcasts. I'm trying to get listener engagement back because there's two titles I'm playing with. So I said, send me an email. Tell me which one you like. I actually had a couple of people respond. And, you know, if you have any great stories or anything and you want to be in the book, send them to me. If we get them in the book, I'll get a free book. So just trying to go at it from a, a different perspective and write in the third book. So currently you have those going on, but you also have your consulting. Who's your ideal client? Somebody needs to hire you. Like, who's your ideal client if you want to share that with us? So they can right. definitely reach out. Right. My, my ideal client is someone who has a leadership issue or wants to build stronger teams because improv is ideal in, in strengthening those. My ideal client is someone who wants to become better at virtual presentations. My ideal client is someone who wants to under, who wants to increase the financial literacy through an accounting course that is not taught like any accounting course that is taught not because I don't want to make you an accountant. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to teach it that way. I, I worked through a company called Color Accounting we want business owners to have a better financial understanding of their business through plain English and the use of colors without the use of complex technological terms. And I've just been working with this one individual who said, I, I'm doing this because I need to, but I hate this whole concept. After the first class, the next time we met, I said, so how, how is everything? She goes, you know, for the last week, I've woken up thinking about balance sheets. In my balance sheet, what did you do to me? I said, I taught you something in a way that you could understand. And this person has been a sponge with this stuff. So those are my ideal clients. And where can they reach you at? Well, my email is peter at petermargaritas, M-A-R-G-A-R-I-T-I-S.com. My website is petermargaritas.com. You can find me on LinkedIn on every piece of social media for the most part. Uh, you can Google me. I think I come up the first two or three pages worth. I, I can be found. Awesome. Or, or, <laughs> or, look, or look for the accidental accountant. And I'll attach that information again on the show notes, you guys. So you'll be able to go directly and just tell, tell him where Mina sent you. And you guys listen to this interview and you're really interested. So why not? Oh, my goodness. Well, we are at the final question, which is my favorite question. I have to be biased every time. <laughs> okay. What is your personal definition of success? Waking up smiling and excited the very next day. Doing something you absolutely love more than anything else in the world that you would do it for free. But people just want to pay you to do it. Waking up and just being excited about the day, taking on the day. You've got a message to deliver and you're going to deliver it. That's my definition of success. I like it. I love it. <laughs> Any last thing you'd like to tell our audience before we do end this interview? Well, I, I will say this. I've been interviewed on a number of podcasts. And Romina, you do a very, very, very good job. Thank you. As, as a host and, and making your guests feel comfortable. Thank you. I really appreciate that. You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you so much, guys, for tuning in. Make sure to look at the show notes to connect with Peter. I'll put all the information there. And make sure to tune in every Tuesday for amazing episodes just like this one and learn at least one new thing per episode. Have a great one.
This podcast is a 6-7 Radius production. To learn more about 6-7 Radius, our services, and how we can help you strategize your marketing and increase your sales, click the service tab on connectwithromina.com.